Well, hello, welcome to the podcast. I hope this finds you well uh, in your car, on a uh, jog, sitting at your desk, or wherever you're listening to this. Uh, this is a, a bonus podcast, uh, which basically means is we're prepping and getting ready uh, and even teaching and preaching through this text this past weekend, uh, which was Matthew 8, verses 18 through 22, we came across this title that we didn't really have time to unpack. And so I just wanted to take a few minutes and uh, and unpack this title, The Son of Man, with you. It's a big one. It's an important one. It's one that weaves itself throughout Scripture, both Old and New Testament. And it's a really interesting one because this is one of fav- Jesus' favorite designators for himself, and what's interesting about this term, uh, the Son of Man, or this title, Son of Man, is Jesus uh, says he is not merely a Son of Man, which might refer to just a son of Adam or an ordinary human male. Rather, he repeatedly, in fact, over 80 times in all four Gospels, calls himself the Son of Man. And this might suggest uh, that the Son of Man is the greatest, most notable Son of Man of all time. So this expression, the Son of Man, would have stuck out somewhat, uh, and it would have struck this ambiguous chord with specifically the scribe that he's interacting with, this teacher of the law in Matthew chapter 8 that he's talking with in verse 20. Um, But it would have also struck a chord with just kind of the average uh, person in in this scenario, in in the crowd that Jesus is talking to, and it might have stuck out to anyone reading this gospel account that Matthew provides of Jesus' life. So the scribe and, and everyone else listening might have recalled its use not only in, in, with the prophet Daniel, but with the prophet Ezekiel, where God refers to the prophet with the expression son of man over 90 times uh, in, the, in the prophet book of Ezekiel. And stressing, and the purpose of this title is to stress Ezekiel's frailty as a human before the mighty God revealed in the vision that he has. But not only... With Ezekiel, but the teacher of the law, the scribe might have also recalled how Daniel used uh, this term or title, the Son of Man, to refer to a glorified sovereign, right? This apocalyptic messianic figure who rules forever with the ancient of days. And the Son of Man is a messianic title, and it harkens back to this mysterious human divine figure of Daniel chapter 7 in verses 13 and 14. Daniel says, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. So the ancient of days might have been a title for father God in heaven. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, uh, one that shall not be destroyed. Right In other parts of uh, the New Testament, we see that the Son of Man will be given rule over the nations of the earth forever, just like Daniel chapter 7 alludes to. In Matthew 26, at the very end, Jesus says, You will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And in John chapter 3, right before the ever-famous verse, John three sixteen and verses 14 and 15, Jesus said the Son of Man will be lifted up by being crucified. Jesus says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. 
A little bit later in John in chapter 6, Jesus says the Son of Man will provide divine revelation. He says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. And then in one chapter before, in John chapter 5, verse 27, we see the Son of Man will act with end time authority. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. All that to say, this was not really a widely used title, but it's probably Jesus' favorite title or self-designation. And it has this ambiguity and mystery around it. And and a lot that kind of shied a lot of people away from using it. It wasn't really a, a sought-after term, but it actually was convenient for Jesus to use as a vehicle to proclaim his messianic identity. But he didn't have the same baggage and popular associations that were attached to his other designators like Messiah, Son of David, or even Son of God. These ones we're really familiar with. It didn't have that same baggage that it came with those other terms. And really, the Son of Man indicates the true meaning of his identity and ministry. And so we kind of see it in three, three ways, and maybe even three progressive ways throughout the life and ministry of Jesus. And the first is it indicates that he is the humble servant who has come to forgive sinners, specifically in his earthly ministry, but also thereafter. In Matthew 9, verse 6, uh, Jesus says, "...but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins." And then he said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed and go. So this is on this healing rampage that Jesus is on. And he calls himself the son of man. And he says the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Okay, that's the first. The second kind of meaning of his identity in ministry is that the son of man is the suffering servant whose atoning death and resurrection will redeem his people. So go to Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? He didn't say who do people say I am. He said, who do people say this looming, ambiguous, mysterious son of man that was prophesied about and that we know about and that with the prophets in the Old Testament and that we're supposed to be expecting, who do they say the son of man is? And he answers that question a little bit later in, in chapter 16 and verses 27 to 28. Jesus says, For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Right? It's, so it's through his atoning death and resurrection that redemption is found. And this is the, the purpose and, and some of the markers of the Son of Man, the suffering servant whose atoning death and resurrection redeems his people. And the third uh, kind of meaning and identity of, of his mission and, and ministry is that the Son of Man is the glorious king and judge who will return to establish God's kingdom here on earth. Right, and so first, he's the, the humble servant who's come to forgive sinners, kind of referring to his earthly ministry and kind of the here and nowness of Jesus the Christ. And then he's the son of man who's the suffering servant who dies on behalf of his people, defeats Satan and death and the enemy, and redeems his people through his death and resurrection. And he is the Christ who is the glorious king and judge who comes again 
who will return to establish God's kingdom here on earth. Matthew 25, 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. And in the next chapter, Matthew 26, Jesus said to them, You have said so, but I tell you from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Jesus' mission is not always understood both then and today because of the misperceptions and faulty expectations of people, the religious leaders, and even his own disciples. This is both an ancient and a current problem. But at the end of his ministry on earth, he used this mystery, ambiguous and weighty, this title to clarify his identity and ministry for the last time at his trial before Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin, where it is perfectly clear that he is claiming to be the divine Messiah of Israel. And that's found in Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 63. At the trial, Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ. By the way, Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's a title. It's another word for the Messiah, prophesied, expected one. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, you have said so. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, he has uttered blasphemy. What further witness do we need? You've now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, he deserves death. Then they spit in his face and struck him. And some slapped him saying, prophesy to us, you Christ, who is it that struck you? What Jesus had to say and how he used the son of God man title was so inflammatory it counted as utter blasphemy and it was his seal for death the son of man is a a weighty ambiguous mysterious title lots of people have written on it it's shown up in daniel and ezekiel and other parts of the old testament it shows up throughout the gospel as one of jesus's favorite titles for himself And ultimately, what we're meant to think of when Jesus uses the Son of Man title is he is the humble servant who forgives sinners. He's the suffering servant who died a death we could never do and rose to life, defeating death, sweeping us into his kingdom, redeeming his people. And he's the glorious king and judge who will return to establish God's kingdom here on earth. So that's what we mean when we talk about the Son of Man.